Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Rachel Lipman. Trade is no doubt an integral part of many industries, and Missouri is no exception. International trade and investments support hundreds of thousands of jobs in the state. And to help foster even more of that, Missouri Governor Mike Parson recently embarked on his first trade trip to Europe. He made stops in France, Germany, and Switzerland. Further east, China is also a major player when it comes to foreign investment in Missouri. But the recent trade war with China has negatively affected trade and hits some of our regional farmers the hardest. Here to discuss the trade war, what it entails, and all of the details around international trade is David Meyer. He is a senior lecturer in management at the Olin Business School at Washington University in St. Louis. David, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. For those who really aren't familiar with how nations engage in international trade, can you kind of explain just a little bit and, you know, the Economics 101, what tariffs are and what their purpose is within the international trade universe? Tariffs typically are designed to protect a particular industry. Uh, Usually that is highly related to the political process. So tariffs are targeted to those who have the access to the political system to actually get the benefits for themselves. So most tariffs are not, uh, the tariff structure as a whole is not a general all the way across. It's actually very specific. Give us an example of kind of how international trade and and politics kind of intertwine. Tariffs aren't always necessarily a bad thing. They're not always being used for retaliatory purposes. Well, tariffs at times uh, can be used in early stages of development. Uh, It's called the import substitution approach. That's a very standard approach. Uh, the problem with that approach, uh, however, is that the industries that get those kinds of benefits typically then mobilize over time to protect themselves in the long run so that the notion that the tariff would encourage uh, a high level of productivity and improvement in the structure of the industry usually falls by the wayside after a period of time. So that's why the tariff uh, ultimately ends up falling always on, almost always on consumers themselves as a standard interpretation. So this would be, for an example, where a company they're trying to, a country is trying to give this company a boost. Once they kind of get up to speed, they still want that added protection, even though they may not need it necessarily. Correct. A good example of that would be uh, tariffs on automobiles. Uh, I don't know where it stands exactly right now, but say in Brazil, Brazil has always been trying to encourage uh, its auto industry and has a very large auto industry because it's a very large market. However, the tariffs there, which prevent, of course, cars coming in, what it means is then that the tariffs lead to a development of an automobile industry in Brazil, which may not be as highly competitive and also more highly priced in terms of cars. So that's an example of where the tariffs end up being a negative uh, outcome over time. For the United States here, um, I know that there are dozens and dozens of tariffs floating around out there. We hear of threatened tariffs and proposed tariffs. But on the ground right now in the United States, what's the basic tariff situation? Well, the basic tariff overall, the U.S. is, along with most of the developed countries, actually have relatively low tariffs on a macro basis. The, the tariffs that are onerous are very specific to certain kinds of industries. Uh, one of the extreme examples in the United States is the tariff on importation of sugar. And that's to protect uh, sugar farmers, uh, which are usually, well, in fact, all of them in the United States, as far as I'm aware, are very large corporate farms in Florida and Colorado, and they've been masters at protecting themselves. So that's probably one of the worst ones. Uh, The other one, tariffs that most of the U.S. has, is is very low. So the increase in tariffs that Trump is proposing is really quite a change. And there has been a lot of these kind of back and forth with with China. We've heard with Mexico, with Canada. Where do we stand right now with some of those new tariffs that President Trump has been implementing as a political tool? 
The uh, well, the China ones are more familiar with you know as they've gone up and the threats. Uh, it's at 10 percent, and as they move to 25 percent in the very near term, I think it's in the next week or so. That threat of that. Uh, the uh, Mexican tariffs, as I re- as far as I recall, they, they have been put on hold temporarily, and I think the Canadian ones seem to be on hold too because there's no more discussion of those. Uh, the European ones are just sitting there. Nobody seems to know what's going to happen yet. There's not much new in the news about those right now. And at their most basic level, again, at that kind of very economics 101, where, how do the tariffs that are being put on just, you know, in general, but also these new retaliatory ones, how are they impacting trade? At this point in time, at least the articles that have been so far been put up on the web by a lot of the um, economists and the banks and so on, suggests that it's not that much of an impact yet. It's difficult to say because, in fact, uh, the actual uh, global trade has been slowing before the tariffs were actually implemented, uh, the initial ones, say, for China, and even the threats uh, to Mexico and then Canada. And so that, that's, you have to keep that in mind, that that's been going on for some time. I don't know how far back it is, but probably at least 12 months or more, the, the uh, global trade was on the downward trend, and then the tariff... Uh, threats all came in after that. So this is not as, that's quite clear evidence, at least in a simplistic way, that the tariffs did not cause a decline in global trade. What then is, is, is sort of the motivation for some of these, these tariffs, do you think? If, if you know, the impact isn't, it, what's the intended impact here and, and where do we expect to see some of those impacts? I think the, the biggest discussion right now, of course, is, is the tariffs with uh, China. And there the impact uh, is mainly uh, this notion that we import far more than we export to them, and their uh, tariffs uh, are blocking our uh, goods from going into China. The problem with that interpretation, however, is that much of the uh, exports uh, from China to the United States are actually U.S. firms who are exporting using China as a platform, as well as other European firms, and maybe Japanese would be there too. But the U.S. firms are heavily involved in China as an export platform, as well as domestically. So uh, it's very misleading what's going on right now. So they're not particularly good at trying to address some of these trade imbalances. We hear a lot about the president saying, you know, oh, well, they they have this massive trade imbalance with us, and we're going to use these tariffs to correct these imbalances. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll think of an example right now, uh, our local uh, firm here who doesn't produce here, that's uh, Calaris, uh, shoe manufacturing. Formerly known as Brown Shoe. For those people who may be sitting there going, what is Calaris? (laughs) That's a good way to mention that. Yeah, their production, I think right now, is roughly about uh, three quarters out of China. And then I don't remember the exact figures, about maybe 10 or 15 percent in Vietnam. Well, Calaris is going to be uh, impacted dramatically, and they can't shift their production that fast uh, to uh, Vietnam and maybe other places. They're also moving into Ethiopia as a, a, a production system. Actually, Calaris themselves do not produce the shoes, but those are produced by a large or even small uh, mainland Chinese, Hong Kong Chinese, Taiwanese, and some Korean firms. So those are the ones that are actually producing them for them. They're on contract basis. So for Calaris, then, they're going to be caught. The, the shoes that they're bringing in, and, and if you think of the, I think it's famous about footwear, maybe I'm maybe wrong on that. But anyway, the, they bring in a lot of moderate-priced shoes as well as high-end shoes, but the moderate-priced shoes are going to go up in significantly in costs, and that's going to affect the middle and lower middle classes dramatically. If you have a question for Professor Myers about international trade or how it might impact Missouri, you can give us a call at 314 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. 
You can send us a tweet to at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Professor Meyer, I wanted to talk a little bit about these tariffs and how they might impact some of Missouri's biggest industries. That's including agriculture, health and science, and advanced manufacturing. Where are they landing there mostly? Well, I think uh, the, the agriculture, of course, would be the big one. I think the, the soybean farmers uh, have been dramatically impacted. Uh, in fact, elsewhere in the Midwest, too. So, I mean, that's a big hit to the, the farm economy. And the problem is that and China's making threats, uh, and rightly so, that they're looking to other countries. And Brazil, of course, is a major globally efficient producer of soybeans. And, and while they also have been supplying China, they can easily ramp up production much more and supply China. So our Missouri farmers could very well be dramatically hurt. Once those systems are set in trade and and the efficiencies and gains go to, say, Brazilian farmers even more than they are right now, uh, you're going to see their uh, their price levels are going to be competitive, I would guess, with the U.S. And therefore, why would China look to the U.S. again since we're constantly sanctioning them? And once you switch production or switch buying, it's not as though you can immediately six months later switch back to coming to the United States. Uh, not as easily. Although one one possible moderation of that would be that a, a lot of the uh, distribution things are handled by the big agri firms, and so they can they they do have capacity to do that. But on the other hand, they're setting up contracts too. So like a Cargill is an example of that. Cargill has uh, as a global producer, and so they operate in all these countries as well as in the U.S. And so, but on the other hand, I would guess that they're going to set up relationships. They're going to start promising, we're going to buy more from you, say Brazil. And once they make those promises, they keep them. This, this is a company that's been around for more than 100 years, and they're not going to, go, they're not going to start making promises to other farmers in the world uh, and all of a sudden just undermine them. When these contracts are in place, I'm assuming these are fair, somewhat long-term, two, three years, how long could this ripple on beyond just, you know, reset everything back to where they were previously. How long then do the impacts continue to ripple, even if all the tariffs were lifted today? I'm not, I'm not completely sure about that. Uh, I just would think, though, it would definitely be a couple of years. And, and then, of course, once the patterns get set, then, then those relationships are going to continue. I think in some of the other industries, I don't know, it's hard to say, uh, you know, the the defense industry, of course, which is Boeing uh, from our standpoint here, we're not really the commercial one. That would be Seattle. Uh, that one is unclear. Of course, China does not buy those kinds of planes from us, so that's not going to be an impact. I don't think on we there. would sell them to them either. <laughs> yeah, well, they're producing their own now. They're starting to produce high end along with the Russians. So that uh, and the other ones, I'm not sure. You know, the, the local, uh, like in St. Louis here, a lot of software firms are already emerging. Uh, some of them may be moving into China, uh, and that would be impacting. Depending on software, becomes something that's going to be blocked. Now, the technology tariffs or, or the technology sanctions that seem to be emerging, I think those are, to my view, and uh, people on the web are making good points about that. That's kind of dangerous because that's going to be setting up a lot of blockages for firms' innovation, and they're not, and one of the big markets in the world for technology products are, is China. We have been hearing a lot about tech sanctions and and using that as a tool for economic policy as opposed to tariffs. Generally speaking, um, how, how do sanctions and tariffs operate differently in terms of impacting trade? Well, the sanctions, I think, technology, uh, the danger in that is uh, the U.S. then is going to think of itself as trying to solve all the technological problems ourselves. The problem with that is that technological development in China is, is proceeding at a very rapid rate. I just came back from uh, Shanghai last week at a conference, and I go to China probably every eight months or so. I'm going there in September also to Beijing for a conference. Uh, every place you see and you talk to people, 
and you find out uh, how the major universities in China are turning out vast numbers of technologically sophisticated computer scientists, engineers, mathematicians, and so on. One figure I did see on the web, I, I haven't verified, it's been repeated, is this, that they're graduating four times as many STEM graduates as the United States. We wall ourselves off from China. We're walling ourselves off from one of, the, one of the greatest technological hubs in the world, which is also working together with Russia, which is a phenomenal technological uh, sophisticated uh, economy. And they'll be working together. But if we wall ourselves off, and that's not going to be good. And we don't want to be only linking to Europe, because Europe is not, in a broad sense, it's got some great technology hubs like in Cambridge region, but it is not a center of innovation. So we will be walling ourselves off from the two great technology hubs of the world. Operationally speaking, uh, tariffs versus sanctions, how are they different in terms of the levers that get used to attempt to influence policy? Well, you know, tariffs are, are, are consistent. You can see the tariff as a percentage uh, of, uh, say, selling price. Uh, the problem with sanctions is that they're just willy-nilly being uh, ex dropped all over the place. And, and that, to me, that's incredibly disruptive and dangerous. We're using sanctions almost in a militaristic fashion. And, and we're, I don't believe that the United States' reputation is uh, going up. It's, in fact, I think it's going to be going down with those kinds of sanctions. I think countries around the world are going to get angry at us and are already getting angry at our use of these kind of sanctions for both technology products, financial sanctions, uh, oil sanctions like on Iran, and so on. Sanctions are every place. It's an amazing number of sanctions we have now implemented. Wanted to go back to the area that you have the expertise in, which is is China, and that's obviously the biggest name we hear about with talking with trade. How did China gain this prominence? Is it just that it is a million a billion plus people? In terms of in terms of trade and trade economic up. policy, and and the fact that you know that's where our attention goes these days is China. Well, you, you date it to the reforms of Deng Xiaoping in 1978, and that was the dramatic transformation of China. That opened up China to uh, foreign investment uh, because that was the way that the uh, Communist Party decided that they were going to be able to grow the most rapidly that way. And then and invited in, originally the Hong Kong Chinese and then Taiwan Chinese came in. And then the foreigners, were uh, non-Chinese uh, from Asia, were invited in, and Europe and the United States moved in, dramatically so, starting in the late 80s and into the 1990s. And so China really was open to foreign direct investment on a vast scale. It continues to, to the present. So they saw that and they used that as a lever to get dramatic development going and unparalleled development as it turns out. And then that became export platforms and the foreign firms use that as that. And so that was, that's been a big driver of the growth of the Chinese economy. But that's shifting now because China's becoming much more an internal market. And it's really more important as an internal market now. Uh, than it was, uh, say, back uh, 20 years ago. So it's already making that transition. And how does this shift to an internal market perhaps maybe protect China a little bit from the policies that the Trump administration is, is putting in place with, this, with his tariffs? I think one one thing I, I was thinking about that this week when I was in, or last week when I was in China and talking with people, I think what it does is it it accelerates China's internal development of its own market. Now, it was going to happen anyway, but what it does is incentivizes the Communist Party, the government, which is the party, to, in fact, uh, do any kind of things they can through policy levers and so on to encourage the domestic economy to grow in terms of the internal market. Now, they're also, of course, are encouraging the foreign firms, and that's one of the big things that's important. The foreign firms really to produce in China for China are 
local firm here, Emerson, is a classic example of that. They have a large number of factories in China for China's market. Uh, they do export some too, but it's really for the China market, and China's encouraging more of that. So the tariffs, in fact, are, are sanctions even. They're going to encourage uh, American firms just to produce in China. Now, they could be sanctioning American firms to even to prevent them from going into China, which would be, a, I think, a disaster. Again, we can't do that. That's going to be bad for us in the long run. But I think in the incentives in terms of internal China, uh, I could see them uh, opening up their market even more. But the, the actual internal market in China for the domestic Chinese, as well as the foreign firms that are there, is really quite open now. So the private sector is very dynamic in China. Do we put ourselves as a nation at a disadvantage by giving China basically a reason or an incentive to turn inward? Not only are we impacting consumers here, but then also cutting off a market in the future. I think part of it is uh, true that there's, it's going to accelerate that internalization of their market. But I think the other side of, the, of this is also, and that's probably even, maybe even more important, is that uh, it's forcing uh, or dramatically encouraging China to look to other countries of the world, and particularly with the Belt and Road Project, to look towards Central Asia, Russia, of course, which is developing very close relationships with and has been for some time, and then into uh, Central Asia, South Asia, uh, those kinds of areas of the world, and, and even Africa now. And China is developing all kinds of relationships uh, with those economically. The Belt and Road is a major initiative to improve infrastructure. So China sees this as a big market. And the estimates, if you look at current populations, it's about a 2.2 billion market altogether, One point, not counting India, just leaving India out for the moment. So that's, and China, as they start, we, as we block them, they look into that internal market, and that's a vast market, and that's going to be one of the most rapidly growing markets in the world. I wanted to go briefly to Governor Mike Parson, who just got back from a trade trip to Europe in an effort to boost some of Missouri's industries, agriculture, defense, etc. Given how national trade policy is, Missouri's not setting these tariffs, for example, how effective are trade trips for the states? I guess I would see it as just... Uh, it to promote the, uh, the state itself, uh, you know, make, make it more visible, the meetings that uh, the, uh, the government was having with the CEOs in France, any kind of political leaders, I think that kind of visibility is helpful, gets in the news. Uh, that would, I think that's encouraging from that standpoint. Uh, beyond that, I'm not sure. I think most important to my view, I suppose, it would be that the Missouri State Department of Economic Development help firms here to really uh, access these external markets in some way. A big firm like an Emerson doesn't need that, but small and medium-sized firms do. And I think in encouraging, saying that we're open and when he goes abroad, I think that does help people in the state itself, if they hear about it, that say, hey, Missouri is going to be helpful. And what is kind of the trade relationship with Europe right now? What are some of the headwinds that Governor Parson was facing when he went over for this trip? Well, I think the, the one was uh, the auto tariffs, but we're not as big a producer, of course, of cars now in the state of Missouri. Uh, so that, but it will be impacted somewhat. That's the big thing that's coming is the auto tariff because the, in fact, Europe does have higher tariffs on autos than we have on their autos. So there is an imbalance there, and, and Trump is right to address that. The Europeans don't like to talk about that. 
Uh, the other ones I'm not so sure about. I mean, there's the retaliation we could have, of course, like we trying to raise tariffs on great French cheese and things like that and wine and things like that. That's going to be done that. On the other hand, they may be starting to put tariffs on our wine, although Missouri's not a big producer. It does produce some. I feel like there would be a greater backlash on tariffs on French wine and cheese than on most other consumer goods. David Meyer is a senior lecturer at the Owen Business School at Washington University in St. Louis. Professor Meyer, thank you very much for coming on and helping us understand international trade and how it impacts Missouri today. Okay, thank you, Rachel. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thanks for listening. I'm Rachel Littman. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.